Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. You are listening to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of British Columbia. 101.9 FM, CITR.ca online. If you're listening to this show on the podcast, this is episode 208. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhammer. And I am tired. It's been a long, long day. Been up since 7 o'clock. Heading over to the island to watch the Juan de Fuca plate. Smooth sailing though, at least on the, on yeah. the water. Beautiful journey there, beautiful journey back. Lovely scenery, shit game of football. Congratulations <laughs> to Victoria Highlanders though. Two times, back to back, if you... Take out the, the years in yeah, the middle. <laughs> you know the two years in between, back to back champions. Yeah. Beat TSS Rovers 2-0 this afternoon, so congratulations to them. The Rovers will be back for their first plate, hopefully, next year. I think overall, uh, quickly, a successful season. for the, they, Sure, they didn't make the playoffs, they didn't get any silver, but if, you know, for a team put together so quickly and everything like that, it was a successful season. They brought the, uh, a good supporters group, um, supporters into the stands, and I, I think overall a successful season, good, good commentary. Oh, fantastic commentary. That Gideon Hill. Yeah, that Gideon Hill is fantastic. If you didn't get a chance to watch the game today, check out the stream. I'm doing the commentary on that. No Whitecaps to talk about this week. They've had a bye week. They will be back a week on Wednesday, travelling to LA. Whitecaps 2 played on Saturday night. Exciting 2-2 draw with the Colorado Switchbacks. 2-0 up at half-time, finished 2-2. Another penalty from Marco Bustos. Quality from the spot. Deadly. They should just bring him on as a, a special... Special penalty taker like American football, just bring them on special teams. A nice header from Thomas Center as well. Yeah, but then they blew it in the second half, 2-2. So we're not here to talk about club football tonight. We're going to have a special proud country chat. We're going to be focusing on the Canadian men's national team and the Canadian women's national team. But let's kick things off with some Gold Cup chat. Canada won again. 4-2. They scored. Fantastic. Four times. If we ignore two minutes of madness. When the rains came down. Whoa. <laughs> did the heavens open. Yeah. To quickly recap uh, the goals, uh, because we're not going to go too in deep on the goals. Uh, Jakovic scored the first. 
Um, everybody's wondering how long it's going to take to score. He did it first. It kind of went off his ribs or something like that, or his hip for, on, the, on the on the free kick on the corner kick. I forget who it was, but someone on Twitter had a poll going, "What is your favorite Canadian goal? Uh, <laughs> Kyle Lairn's Kyle butt or, or Dian Yakovich's ribcage?" Yeah, and then Scott Arfield scored uh, just at, almost at the death at halftime after creating the first goal. Yeah, um, so that was good. Alfonso Davies. The Who? Six, uh, yeah, the 16-year-old. Uh, in the 60th minute. He's only 16? Only 16. Wow. Um, uh, youngest player ever, I think, to score in the Gold Cup now. Um, and for Canada. A fantastic play by Lucas Cavallini on that. And then sent him all alone. And he, clinical finish, nutmeg the goalie. Like you said, the two minutes of craziness in the 69th and 70th minute. Oh, one was a, a decent header off uh, off the cor- I think it was a corner. And the second one, that was a little bit shambolic, um, where it was, uh, you, uh, Crepo kind of lost where he was supposed to be, and that was unfortunate. But in the 85th minute, Alfonso Davies comes back, finishes him off, gets at the brace. Another nutmeg. Yeah. And, yeah the uh, double meg. And another great setup by the striker, the, the, uh, the Canadian striker, Jackson, Jackson ML. ML. Yeah, fantastic yeah. setup. Kirk there. was loving the nutmegs in the game, because he's just kind of learned what it is playing in the schoolyard, and... And stuff, and he was like, "Dad, there's so many nutmegs in this game." So, does he say nuts or does he say megs? He usually says meg. Yeah, he megged them. Nuts is better. So, uh, and the, <laughs> and obviously, then the game ended four two. Um, obviously, uh, and now because um, a goal differential at the top of the table. Yeah, top we of the group. Are top of the league. Say we are top. Of course, uh, the other group, Martinique, is the top of the group right there in the USA. Uh, right. one. So that's uh, uh, it's good for now, I guess we could say that. You have to play who's in front of you, and you have a you you have a job to do. You need to get three points to to begin your the group phase well. And they, they looked good, but uh, they looked I, like a they cohesive attack- team, and they looked attacking yes. for once. That I mean, was the, that, that was the thing. We're going to hear some audio that the wonderful Jonathan Tannenwald got for us after the game, and they, they talk about that that Zambrano has added something which this team didn't have before. They actually attack. Yeah. And, and I think like the first half, like you were talking, Scott Arfield, he set up the goal, he scored the goal. I think he was the MVP in the first half. Alfonso Davies kind of took it in the second half with his two finishes. Um, but I think he was very solid in the first half too, um, his attacks down the wing and everything like that. I don't know if anyone saw his brother. It, it was shared on Twitter. He was yes. doing the national that anthem. That's such an awesome. Scott Arfield. David, David, Scott, Ed- Scott Arfield. Yeah. David Edgar shared it. Yeah. yeah. Wearing all this different Canada gear. It yeah. was fantastic. He needs to work a little bit on the tune, I think. He kind of <laughs> lost it a little bit towards the end. But, yeah. but A for effort. Yeah. As in A. Scotland is all in for Canada. Seems like it. Now you just need your citizenship. We'll get there. Do I get to play if I get my citizenship? Is that how it works? <laughs> no, I don't oh, think okay. so. Damn. I thought I was going to get a game for TSS Rovers today. <laughs> they were that yeah. short. Yeah, they only had four players on the bench. Oh, wow. I was warming up on the pitch, missed an open goal from the spot. No keeper. <laughs> Actually pulled it wide. <laughs> I was trying to impress by going for the corner, and it just went. I looked around to see if anyone was watching. Yeah, they were watching. But I, I didn't make the cut. But anyway, back to Canada. So that's some of our thoughts on the game. Before we chat any more about it and some of the individual performances, let's hear a little bit from the new Canadian head coach, Octavio Zambrano. Is that what you wanted to do for Canada? 
to try to attack to obviously they defend well you build the ball going through the midfield but was that what your game plan was today against French Guiana we, we definitely wanted to uh, drive a, an up-tempo type of game um, we, we wanted to score within the first 15 minutes and try to control the game after that um, didn't quite happen everything exactly the way we wanted but I saw uh, glimpses of, of what I want for this team and we had a we had a breakdown at one point that um, we need to really be cognizant of and, and we need to examine. We will watch the video and see where where that was and, and how we can correct it. But you can't ask for everything in the first match, you know. And what I saw I think it was it was good enough for three points and, and really that's at the end of the day what matters. Octavio, um, I'm sure you haven't started too many sixteen year olds. Uh, over the course of your coaching career. Your thoughts on Alfonso's uh, overall game today? You know, Alfonso is a, is a player that will will give a lot to talk to a lot of people because he's a, he's a young man with a, a tremendous future. Really, truly, the sky is the limit for him. Uh, and I say that because... I know his personality. He's a humble kid, and you know, as as the great Pele once said, you know, you have to be humble before you have to be great. And he is very humble player with tremendous tools uh, to um, to play the game. Uh, how far he can go and, and what he can reach, really, it's uh, it's for all of us to watch him and enjoy. Enjoy the ride with him because he's he's going to be a good one, um, and so uh, his age doesn't really play too much in on on our minds. I, I don't think he plays in his mind at all. When he steps on the field, he's he, he comes to play, and it doesn't really matter to him uh, one bit. You know, if the guy that is in front of him is twice his age, he he will play it uh, with with the same intensity um, and with the same uh, pizzazz. That, uh, that he possesses. So uh, I couldn't be more pleased for a great debut for a, a guy like him. Uh, Octavia, from our, our point of view, it looked like when Milan went down, there was some, some medical staff who looked like he gestured for a sub, and then another person came in and gave the thumbs up. And then, of course, Milan was taken out not long after. Mm-hmm. Given sort of concerns about head injuries and all that, who has the final say in something like that? Undoubtedly, uh, the doctor... Uh, has the final say, and um, we um, we care about our players' health first and foremost. Um, obviously, in games, uh, during games, um, the communication that goes from from the field to the coach, and when the substitutions are determined to be uh, uh, warranted. Um, Perhaps uh, in this uh, in this time wasn't the best. Um, there was a little bit of confusion, um, but uh, you know he came out. He's okay. He's been examined. I, I don't foresee anything major, um, but obviously I will wait to see what the what the doctor has to say.
So Octavio Zambrano there just talking a few thoughts from the game and he mentioned the interest in one Borian. That was a that was a bit of a scary moment because I don't think he should have been kept on the pitch. I think as soon as he had that knock, they should have taken him off. Concussion protocol, everything like that. I mean, he seems to think that he's fine and it's not going to be an issue, but I, I just I wasn't comfortable with him being left on. Uh, I, I I don't think he got ever got knocked out though. So I'm not sure. Like it might have been just a contusion, but I don't know. I don't play a doctor at all, even on on TV. Or <laughs> he like, was heavily bruised unlike, under his eye. Un- unlike Stephen Caldwell, who who made, seems to make a diagnosis all the way in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think the 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 kind of half closed, half open fist from Samuel Piet was that bad. Actually, it didn't look at that. It, it didn't look like a strike. It, it didn't. Yeah, and it, it didn't kind of. It did. It, the, I know where it hit in the head. Yeah. I was more worried about him having ocular damage, like that he broke yeah. his cheekbone or I something mean, at, like that. At first glance, it, it didn't look bad. It was very innocuous. No, no, but, like, but even on the replay, to me, it, yeah. did, it didn't, like, you could see, oh, yeah, he's got a bruise under, he's got a black eye starting, and that's understandable where he got hurt. It didn't, to me, look like the kind of head injury that would lead to severe concussion, at least, or significant concussion, at least. But we also don't know how good his vision was either. Right. I, I thought he. I mean, I thought he was going to come off uh, right away, and then I thought, okay, maybe he's just yeah, maybe it's just uh, a hard knock to the cheekbone that stung in the moment. You 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 play on, and it's not. I, I think mostly it was. Probably, he's not concussed. Yeah, and, I don't think a concussion was an issue. I think it was mostly blurry vision. It seemed like maybe the vision just got blurry and blurry as as it maybe swelled up or stuff like that. I think that affected him more, and that's why you need to come off then at that point. Yeah, possibly. But who knows? Maybe he would have done better the goals if he couldn't have seen the ball. It was. It felt like it was one of the turning points in the game, though. Him, it did. him coming off and yeah. and Patrice Bernier. I mean, Crippo and the, was a and good the, keeper. And, and the rain coming down at the same time. Yeah. Like it can't be that, easy for a keeper to come come yeah. in the game and it's all of a sudden starts raining that hard. So I guess we should talk about the the difference maker of the game, the man of the match, yep, Scotty Arfield. I knew, yeah, I, I knew, knew, that. I knew that was coming. I know. I telegraphed that one. <laughs> Alfonso, the King of Canada, El Presidente of Canada, I think he is now. The new CSJ? Yeah. Oh, man. He probably put a few extra million on the Whitecaps transfer fee. You could see the front office watching that, rubbing their fingers, going, ooh, we're going to be up to 80 million now. I don't know if that much. Is that, is that exaggerating? <laughs> no, that's exaggerating. That's a, a little okay, bit exaggerating. 50 million. Yeah, that's a little bit much. Um... Watching the game, it felt like actually Alfonso didn't have his best overall match, especially early on. Like his, his, right, his, right at the his crosses into the box weren't his decision made. Yeah. yeah, like well, even like like right, I almost like maybe the first play to him, he like saw the ball out into touch accidentally. You know, yeah. like I don't know if it was nerves, I don't know, if, you know, first game in the tournament or like whatever, but it was not his is not his regular kind of performance. Um, I think uh, who is it, Luke, Lu, uh, Lucas Cavallini? I think gave him a bit of an earful, you know, once or twice or whatever. And I don't know if that impacted him or that you know had no impact on him. But it wasn't to me. It wasn't really till till the goal that he that his contributions were like like significant, anyways. And once he, I mean, once he got in alone, uh, and had the quality finish through the legs, it was just like. The kind of the rest of the match, I think he played a lot better. 
the goals that he he took. I mean, he finished them superbly. Yes, it's like a dream debut. I mean, yeah, I know he played in the friendly, but this is his first proper cap, his competitive debut, and the coolness and maturity he showed with both those finishes. I mean. I know there's a lot of hype and everything about him, but I mean that was finishing beyond his years. Yeah, everyone after the match was raving about him. We're going to hear from a couple of players in a little bit, but it doesn't help with trying to temper <laughs> the the expectations from him because everyone's now talking him up even more. And squad player Russell Berford raised a good question on Twitter: Does that performance attract more attention from scouts? than how he's been playing in MLS, because it's an international competition. A lot of clubs or a lot of scouts put more weight on playing internationally that, oh, he's done it at an international level. Plus, it's been shown around the world, so people are, are seeing this. I, well, I, I totally agree. I, I think the international thing is a big thing um, because you can't... It's hard to judge um, um, league play because you don't know... Um, the ins and outs, but international plays a tournament yeah. and tournaments a little bit more stressful on players and everything like that. So it's a, it's a and when a player shows that they can do it at, a, uh, at the international level, it, it means big for them. Well, the interesting thing is when you look at his 2017 season so far, all of his assistant goals have come in some kind of cup competition, whether, yes. whether that's the, uh, the CONCACAF champions league, the Voyager's cup, or now, uh, playing for Canada in a friendly or playing for Canada in the Gold Cup. In the MLS league play, he has zero assists yeah. and zero goals, which I think some people maybe have been either critical for or, yeah, some people, I think I've heard some people be critical of him for that. But um, I, and, and and I've heard actually the opposite perspective of some people are looking more, okay, it's th- those competitions are different I, you're, and he hasn't, Contributed in the same way in the bread and butter of, of of the league play. He might just be a player that really raises his game when it comes to the cup competitions. It's maybe just something that really excites him. But it, it now poses the question from a Whitecaps point of view: How can you leave him out of the starting lineup when he's playing like that for his country? Because Rob has used him a little bit sparingly at times. He's brought him off the bench. He has tired at times when he has started. The team's got a good little chemistry going. I mean, if you're looking at, like, if you were looking ideally at playing a front five, and we touched upon this in the in the last podcast, if you wanted to have two strikers, Reina and Montero, and then if you wanted to have three along the middle, you're looking at Teixeira, Shea and Bolanius. So it's like, where does Davies fit in with that? Do you rest someone like Shea, who is your DP, to play a 16-year-old? You, I, you I mean Tampler? I think I, I think you have to just do a rotation at that point. Like you, you kind of see what's happening in training, how they feel, and everything. Bolanius is, you know, he's he's going to deserve a rest once in a while. He is at like I think thirty three, thirty four, something like that. So you just need to rotate these guys in and just keep them fresh because it's tough, uh, especially the second half when they're going to be on the road uh, quite a bit and. And then they'll be at home, so you just got to need you got to use it uh, the squad as they are. Yeah, I think I think we're not going. It's going to be hard to for for Robo to have a settled starting eleven. I think with all the options and choices and these kind of good, kind of good in one sense. But we also saw earlier in the year when options were limited, when options were limited, and uh, and there was a kind of a okay, this is the starting eleven for four, five, six, seven match or four. Five to six matches. 
we'll, we'll save that for more of our Whitecaps shows. For now, I mean, we're raving about Davies, so let's hear what a few of the other guys had to say about him. Scott Arfield and Patrice Bernier. Cool. Will you translate the Arfield? Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Today we saw a 16-year-old kid break through with his national team. Uh, Your thoughts on Alfonso's performance? Fantastic. I thought, um, you know, he's probably the most exciting kid. I think that's what he still is a kid. Uh, that I've ever played with, probably I've ever seen with my own eyes. Um, and I've been about for a long time, and by far he's, he's the most technically gifted, the most humble, modest young man that's, that I think is going to go from strength to strength. I know that a number of the big hitters in, in Europe have certainly been looking at him. And, you know, the more the more you get to know him as a, as a lad, that you know, he's got every chance to really step on here. And, you know, the, um, the experience, what, you, what you're showing at 16, you know, to come into a game like that and when the back's against the wall... And we've kind of lost our shape for, for 20 minutes or so to, to take it. We're technically gifted strike and, and put it in and kind of see the game out. It speaks volume for them. You had a very strong game as well. Uh, your thoughts on your performance? Yeah, I thought I was, thought I was done exactly what I, what I wanted to do. You know, um, you know as, a, as a professional football, yeah, um, you look back at your standards, the 20 minutes that we kind of lost the two goals is... You know, we were guilty, me, Sammy and, and Russ in, uh, in the midfield three, we were far more guilty of getting the game stretched and, you know, if we, if we kind of get that transition a lot better then we certainly see the game out, the, the two goals don't happen if it were two stretched from the back four it, um, we were two stretched and um, I think Jackson and, and Lucas who, who was up there at the time, again too, too big, the distances were too big but that's the thing that, you know, the character that we showed to come back there and, and see the game out and um, you know, the lesson of coming back is the character to get the game rather than losing the shape for 20 minutes is far more important for for a young team and um, you know we go for strength to strength and, and certainly after this game we're going to the confidence back in Texas How important was it to get that win? Yeah it's important uh, I've been this is my fourth gold cup and the two that we uh, went to the second round was the first 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 game you have to win the first game gives you those three points gives you confidence and uh, let's be honest there's eight teams that qualify out of 12 so uh, first three points is very vital this was only our second game together uh, officially so uh, to have a a good victory and also a lot of goals because we hadn't scored in the last two two uh, goal cups. Take me through how it is at halftime, how it is at three nothing, and how it is at three to two. Uh, look, we came in two zero. I think we created a lot of chances where we could have come up with three zero at halftime, but it was still uh, we were happy with what we did. But we wanted to keep going because we knew that uh, they played a high line and there was space to be able to attack with the pace that we got up front. Uh, and then uh, we went to 3-0, so we're happy because, you know, 3-0, uh, when's the last time Canada taken 3-0? I think it's Gold Cup 2007, uh, but we fell asleep for about five minutes. They came back, they battled through. It was kind of a, like an MLS game where you just think now the game's going to go the other way. You're, you're hoping that they don't score that third, but we scored a fourth. And uh, look, credit, offensively, we did very well. And, uh, you know, 16-year-old scores two goals. I think it's probably a record for Gold Cup. Uh, what a way to start your, your official debut with Canada to score two goals and show your, what you're able to do. To see not only Alfonso playing that well, but playing that well with Anthony Jackson, MLO, you know so well. How much fun is that for you? Oh, it's good. Like I've said, you know me, I'm a veteran player, so I'm coming here just pretty much to manage because those guys going forward, they, they got a lot of quality of creativity. Junior Horlet brings a lot to the table. Lucas Cavallini uh, did a great job to hold up the ball and let him play. Uh, Jackson ML came in and contributed to the fourth goal. Uh, you have those guys. Uh, Canada hasn't had that much threat 
all together. So it's good to, to know that when you pass that ball and it goes forward, it, we, we're able to go to goal and, uh, and threaten teams and not just sit back and, uh, and, uh, and take the pressure. All around the league, people have remarked about how composed Alfonso is. When you practice with him and you play with him, what do you see in person? Hey, look, he's 16. At 16, I didn't remember being like that. Uh, like I said, he's very calm, mature. Uh, looks, just look at his fishing. Didn't fluster, played. Uh, 16 years old, uh, you know he has quality, but this was the first official game for him and in a tournament, and uh, he went out there and played. And the great thing is, yeah, maybe it's because a teenager doesn't really think of all the where he's at. So is that maybe uh, innocence does allow him to, to play? But he has quality. It's it's an, it's amazing to see at 16 years old what he can do and what he'll be able to keep doing for Canada. Lastly, how is Octavio as a coach? Oh, look, very calm, wants to play offensive football and and allows these guys to be creative because he wants the ball to go forward. He wants us to go forward. It's a, it's a message that's always not always been portrayed for Canada in the past. And uh, and you saw it today. And when you have the, the, the quality of players that we have going forward, you give them the ball, things can happen. Uh, so uh, he's very composed and, uh, and really wants to set the tone to a culture of going out there and uh, not being... Uh, uh, Canada that's known to be nice wants to be Canada that goes out there that's greedy and that's able to go at people and, and not think of who you're playing think of Canada and, sh- and performing as a, as a Canadian and being proud of that And Steve is proudly wearing his Canadian flag today. Well, at least his Canadian crest. He's wearing a Canada football top. I thought you only had ice hockey jerseys. I know. No, I never said that. I'm wearing my Wimbledon uh, jersey because it's Wimbledon fortnight. I may have misunderstood that, but that, that's what it is. <laughs> I'll be wearing this when I'm cheering on Andy Murray tomorrow. So we'll just wrap up our Gold Cup chat here with a burning question. Do Canada advance from the group? I think they put themselves in a good position at this point. I think they uh, there is uh, an, another group. I can't remember the teams, but there's uh, there's two teams. If they draw their game, Canada gets through, essentially, because their final games are going to be against Mexico and Jamaica. I think it's Curacao right. and El Salvador, but I'm not sure, 100% sure on that. So that, that, that would be the uh, easiest way to get through, where they don't have to do anything. But I think they, <laughs> but as, I think as as long as they don't like lose it like they did against uh, in that like that two minute span or whatever it was, yeah, I think they can keep the goal differential down because uh, I don't think they're going to beat Costa Rica, um, but they, no. they I think they could draw with Honduras, so I think I think there is a chance there. So I, I, I I'm optimistic at this point. I mean, eight of the twelve teams advance. You have to kind of really hope that Canada's going to be one of those eight. They basically, I think, if a team gets a win by a couple of goals, that should be enough. Obviously, Martinique won by a couple of goals, but we scored four; they only scored two. Yeah. So I, I'm confident. I think I think we will go through. I don't think we'll go through as one of the top two, though. I think we'll be one of the third place teams. Probably, most likely. Yeah, I'm, we, I'm saying we. Yeah, I know. I, I heard a, that. I didn't want to bring too much attention to that's it. That's impressive. No, we we need to we need to get through uh, whatever it takes, whether it's first, second, third. Assassinations, whatever Alfonso it takes. Davies. <laughs> if it, if there needs to be some more of these drawing of lots, whatever we we need to yeah. get, we need to get through. Uh, 
The, the the time they won two thousand gold cup, they only won because of the coin toss. Coin toss, that was coin it. toss. Not drawing get through. Yeah. yeah. If we get through because we're a bunch of tossers, all for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll be back with more chat after this. And I think we can all agree, Alfonso Davies is glorious. That should be his theme song when he runs out of BC Plays. That should be his goal theme. We need to get some goal songs. I know it doesn't go down well with a lot of people. I like goal songs. So we chatted about the Gold Cup before the break there. And the the way the tournament's been run, it's it's been better. They've, they've played the, the proper national anthems, as far as I know, for the teams this year. <laughs> That's a start. So America's learning about the world. Surprising, really, considering who they voted for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's it's been run well. And if this competition goes off without any hitches, it can only help the World Cup bid, which almost looks like a formality. They announced the United Joint Bidding Committee this week as well. So there's three Canadians serving on it. Stephen Reid, his new assistant, whose name I can't remember, and big Victor Montagliani. Yeah, and there's only two Mexicans. That would surprise me a little bit. And there are, I think, six or seven Americans or five. Or judging so by some of the photos of Victor at the Gold Cup, he may have eaten a few Mexicans. <laughs> but I actually got a chance to catch up with the new CSA president, Stephen Reed. Here's Stephen Reed. So Stephen, you're approaching the two-month mark in your, your new position. Has it just been a whirlwind sort of first six weeks for you so far? Absolutely. It's been a pretty hectic uh, period of time. Uh, a lot of travel. Uh, we left the uh, AGM in, uh, in May up at Whistler and had to jump on a plane for the FIFA Congress in Bahrain. So uh, it was... Uh, pretty tiring and uh, there's been a lot of activity of course uh, you know it's a very busy summer we've got uh, had the two women's matches already uh, the men's match against Curaçao um, the uh, Canadian championship uh, as well and we've got the gold cup coming up so condensed uh, schedule of, of a lot of matches plus um, uh, something of, uh, I guess, enormous uh, uh, proportions, the um, FIFA World Cup uh, 2026 bid. So we've already struck the bid committee, um, and uh, we have two um, uh, members from Canada, myself and our General Secretary, Peter Montopoli, who are on that board, um, plus uh, Victor Montagliani as the president of CONCACAF. So three Canadians out of ten on the, uh, the board of directors for the bid committee. So there'll be some more activity. We've had uh, conference calls and um, uh, no face-to-face meetings of the full board itself as yet, but that'll be forthcoming. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of activity going on right now. Um, pretty pretty exciting times. Yeah, it definitely is. And for you yourself, you've been involved in the game for over 50 years. What, what made you decide to step up for this role at this point in time? 
Well, I'd been the vice president for uh, five years, I believe it was, um, and I'd been the president of uh, BC Soccer Association before that for a period of six years. So it would almost seem a natural progression. Um, you know, I, I, I love the sport. I played since I was, uh, you know, four or five years old uh, until I was, I guess, 55 years old and um, got into administration uh, about maybe 16, 17 years ago um, at the provincial level, moved up to the national level. And um, as I said, it's pretty exciting times. I knew that uh, Victor was moving on to CONCACAF as president and um, there were some, uh, some initiatives that we'd identified in our strategic plan that we wanted to follow through with, the Canadian Premier League being one of them, the World Cup 2026 bid, um, and a lot of issues in coaching and player development that we uh, you know, need to attend to. So it was something that uh, I was really excited about and wanted to stay a part of. And looking at a couple of those, the, the World Cup bid, first of all, it's obviously been announced as like uh, 10 games in Canada. Are you happy with that? Would you have liked to have pushed for a little bit more? Or do you think just with the size and the stadiums and the infrastructure in the States, that was the best way to kind of secure the bid? Absolutely. I think that uh, a joint bid was the way to go uh, on a number of different levels. Uh, Whether we had 10 games or 15 games, um, the fact that uh, it's coming to Canada, I think, is the most exciting part. Um, you know, 10, 10 matches over, you know, however many cities, whether that's four cities or, or three cities, whatever it might be, um, it's still bringing the event to our country. Um, and the legacies that can come out of that, um, you know, are you know, potentially very, very significant. And it's not just about the event itself. Um, that's, you know, somewhat fleeting. It's going to be here. It's going to be a month or however many days we're actually in Canada. But there's opportunities for not just the host cities, but other cities across Canada because other countries are going to need base camps, training facilities. There's infrastructure that they're going to require. Um, that's what happens around World Cups, that other countries come in prior to to and need to set up and play and train so there's great opportunities there we saw it with the women's world cup in uh, 2015 where we had a great legacy of uh, a number of different facilities so um, yeah it's pretty uh, pretty amazing and the canadian premier league was obviously ratified we had paul byrne on our show a couple of weeks ago so we had a lot of chats with him about it uh, where is that standing at the moment? Are you still looking towards possibly a launch late last year, or is it still all quite loose at the moment? Um, the target is still 2018 for um, uh, a launch of the the, um, the, the league. Uh, they're still working uh, with other potential franchises. Um, so right now we've only got two member clubs that have actually been uh, accepted to membership uh, by the Canadian Soccer Association, Winnipeg and Hamilton. Um, there was a, a meeting with a number of different owners by the, uh, the CPL itself uh, just the other day in, in Toronto. So they're working towards that still, that timeline. There's a lot of different moving parts. I'd say it's still a work in progress because of uh, stadia requirements and, uh, you know, so... It's, uh, it's going to take some time, but we're hopeful that we can still um, hit that target of, of 2018. But we're committed to it, so it's not a matter of, uh, of if, it's a matter of when. The National Development Training Centre that's just been opened here for the Whitecaps, is that something that you see as maybe having Vancouver as a key base for national teams at all level now moving forward? Well, we haven't had that discussion at this point in time with uh, the um, Whitecaps. Uh, I, you know, it's an awesome facility. Uh, I think that uh, obviously it's, it's world class. 
but uh, I don't think we're in a position to really comment on that at this point in time. We'd have to get into more detailed, uh, comprehensive discussions with, uh, with them in order to see what our position would be. And just last thing for me, you're here today to announce the Canadian team playing the American women in November. With no Canadian teams in the, the Women's League in, in the States at the moment, is that something that you're still pushing hard to get to? Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to see a Canadian team playing. Um, and uh, I think behind the scenes there is some work being done on that, but uh, we'll just have to, we'll have to see. Uh, you know, I think there's definitely an appetite for that, and uh, it would be absolutely amazing if we could have that in place in the, in the near future. So, yes. That's great. Thanks so much, Stephen. Thanks for your time today. Good luck with everything. Stephen Reed there talking about all things Canadian soccer. So the other person on that committee, of course, was Peter Montopoli. You know Peter, right? Yeah, the Monopoly man. <laughs> and he, as he confirmed, there were five Americans yes, on there. Hat. Yeah, five Americans. <laughs> yes, not five or six. <laughs> the Monopoly guy is a different guy. I'll, I'll tell you about who that is later. Oh. His, his updates, on he, he provided a couple of updates on the uh, new Canadian Premier League. Yeah, it's one Definitely that, aiming to start at 2018 still. And that got Zach a little red in the face? No, I just, I, okay. <laughs> I know, you, you don't, I, and I it, agree with you that it's going to be hard to set that up that quickly. No, it, it just does not, on a number of fronts, does not seem like the logical thing to do. Number one, it doesn't seem like a, this, as we've t- talked about a number of times in the past, this league has to have an amazing launch, an amazing start. Yes. That is a huge thing. One chance to make a first right. impression. But you're t- you're talking epic. Start. No, there needs yeah. to be a, there needs to be an incredible. You, I do not think it's best to do a soft launch with a partial season. That's one thing. Then you want to talk about the logistics on top of that. How are you going to have quality players that you're paying from July or August or whatever onward like that I guess I guess July maybe that's when the you know worldwide transfer window opens or whatever but like and then so you're gonna have a shortened season with them and then and then they could sign somewhere else too at that point and then they're yeah then yeah. their league doesn't start the th- till April the th- yeah the thing or whatever is, the thing is is that if you want to get have this league start well you have to sign these players these players have to be here for a while you have to build up the players kind of their their backstory and everything, get people invested in the players themselves. So that way, um, if they're here, like certain players, you know you're going to be here for two, three years. Yeah. And that way the supporters are behind these players and they have somebody to connect like, to. During the games, maybe have a minute's break where you have a flashback scene like they did in Lost. Yeah, could be. Oh, man. No, I, I do, I'm not in favor. I, I really don't, don't think that would be wise to do. Yeah. I'm not saying they're not going to no, do I, it. Yeah. I just don't think I, it would be wise. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think it is doable. But I, I just I don't think it should be. So some quick updates on some CPL stuff. Halifax have had their stadium approved. Big up the Wanderers. Little chat that Moncton might have a a team. The Magnetic Hill. Mm. The the BC team, which we have alluded to, there is a stadium plan with a city in the Lower Mainland. So the last thing that Stephen Reed talked about there, I mean, the whole reason that Stephen Reed was in Vancouver, apart from the fact he lives here, but the, the reason that he was doing the, the chat with everyone was to announce the, the big Canadian women's friendly in November. The Yanks are coming back to the place where they, they won their World Cup. 
And it's the first time that the World Cup winners have come back to their place of triumph. Canada's all out to try and beat them. So I've got a chance to catch up with John Herdman. If you are a subscriber to our premium podcast, there's still extra time. You've heard the first part of our chat, which Har had with John Herdman. So here's just my little bit, just chatting about a few things about Canadian women's soccer. You've been with this team for quite a while now. Yeah. What still motivates you? Is it trying to get one of the big ones, the Olympics, the World Cup, or is it just continuing to see this team grow and a lot of the young ones coming through? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, what what motivates us is, you know, seeing Christine get their 200 goals. You know, I'd love to be part of that experience with her. Seeing Christine and this team on top of a podium, you know, we've changed the mindset of the group. You can really feel it now. There's a, there's a genuine belief in there that Canada can be top of the podium. So that those sort of things are like... I mean, they're massive to be to be part of a team that does that, and and part of that whole growth and journey of the team. You just can't replace those memories. You know, it's it's something that money can't buy. Like it, just being part of it is is what I'm dreaming about. And and I think the last thing is just putting this whole thing down better than we found it. It's you know, it would be easy like I say, to, to have moved off after 2016 back-to-back podiums and tried something different. But there's still a little bit that tells us that this system that Jordan's a, a product of, we still need to cement that in the regions and, and make it better. So, you know, longevity, when one of these female coaches take over in 2020, they don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. They just have to keep working with great players. You talked as well at the start there about this being the first year for Quadennial. How tough is it to to keep things going? And you, you don't have a big tournament now till 2019. So it's three years to the World Cup. It's four to the next Olympics. Keeping competitive games and keeping these players like in that correct mm-hmm. mindset. How how do you do that? It, it, we work we work extremely hard. You know, every time we get together with the players to. Bring them back to vision, and and you know I think it's the most important part of leadership that you know the technical tactical aspect of the game is important, but actually connecting players to a vision that's bigger than themselves, you know, bringing them to that future cast of what number one looks like, how it can feel, what it does for our country. We'd spend as much time in that space as we do talking about the X's and O's on the field, because it's the motivation and a committed mind. That, that makes the difference. All of the success this team's had has been when we've committed their minds and and to sustain that over a quad is is challenging. But if that's one of the main things we talk about when we're together, it becomes front of mind for people and then they commit to it. You've got the new shiny Whitecaps Development Centre here. It's a fantastic facility. Is that something you'd like to see possibly become a base for the women's team moving forward? Yeah, I mean, we, we have a fantastic facility at Fortius, which is um, a full high-performance centre that's got accommodation, you know, yeah. sitting in it. We play a lot of our games on turf in Canada. Um, so, you know, as a, as a facility, it's, it's world-leading in the country as a football facility, well, in the West for sure. 
Um, and I think as a facility, at times we'll hopefully connect with the Whitecaps to be able to utilise it for sure. I think the players just to go and get that professional experience, uh, a real football experience, not a multi-use centre like Fortius, is uh, is beneficial. But you know, we've got everything we need where we're currently at. We've got great systems there, had great support, um, and you know, all our youth programmes are running out of it as well. Um, so, you know, Vancouver's blessed with great facilities and, you know, well done to the Whitecaps for finally, you know, making that dream a reality. And I'm absolutely sure we'll be over there taking advantage at some point. Man's man, I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man. Ladies man, I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man. Ladies man, I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man. And John Herdman certainly is a ladies' man, but in the best possible way. So just talking about a couple of things that, that John mentioned there, a, a big thing, the, he kind of just casually mentioned it, but he talked about when he leaves after the next round of World Cup and Olympics, he wants to leave the programme, he said, in a better shape for when a female coach comes in to take over the team. So he's clearly grooming somebody... Possibly Rianne Wilkinson. Rianne Wilkinson seems a little bit uh, too soon off the pitch. I don't know, you've still got another three years. Oh, I guess so. Uh, his contract. Yeah. Right. Because he's, he's going to go after the, the next Olympics. So yeah. he, he wants to see through the World Cup. He wants to see through there as well. And then I asked John Herdman and I also asked Stephen Reid about the new Whitecaps training facility because it is called the National Soccer Development Centre. <laughs> So I said, is this now going to be a base for the national teams? And Stephen Reid said, as you heard, no, there's been no discussions had so far. <laughs> and John Herdman's like, no, we like Fortius because they've got places to stay and they've got turf pitches. That and, makes sense. Yeah. So I'm not sure that it is going to be the National Soccer Development Centre, but I'd rather just keep it for the Caps anyway. It's like, you don't want to share. In November time when the game's on, we're going to be in our deep playoff run, so they won't get a chance to use the facilities. So, all that is left to say about that is, anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? If you're sitting down at night, you're watching TV, do you go for a cup of tea or a cup of coffee? Uh, a cup of tea at night. What would be your biscuit of choice, or are you not a biscuit person? Oh, definitely McVitie's milk chocolate digestives. Yeah. And are you a dunker? Absolutely, until it, yeah, yeah, definite dunker. Maybe three, sometimes I can get three. That's great, thanks so much, John. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Hi, I'm Carl Robinson. Uh, you're listening to the AFTN podcast. Canada with a corner kick here. Swung in by Timko. Knocked away. So the first scoring opportunity goes to Canada. 
Isabel Morneau trying to get back into the field. The header, Hooper scores! Free kick from Lang. She takes a goal. And she scores! A trademark shot from 16-year-old Carl Lang, who did this at the Under-19 World Championships last year. And she's done it here tonight to open the scoring in this game after nearly 65 minutes. What a strike. Look at this strike. The keeper could not even keep her hands on it. Fleming again. Strong away from Tamirez. Rose just inside her, evades. And Rose could be in behind. She's onside. Sinclair, Christine Sinclair. It's two. It's two for Canada. Seven minutes into the second half. Would you believe it? Captain Fantastic, on the occasion of her 250th cap, gives Canada a 2-0 lead over hosts Brazil. Some magical moments from the Canadian women's national team over the years. Three tops, top stars. Three of which, Steve, made our all-time women's top ten. Yeah, and like we said last week, we were going to talk about it this week. A top ten created, uh, voted on by a number of people that follow the team, uh, people in the media that cover the team, and f- some former players. And we, we, with that, we were able to get a top ten together. A ten. Karina LeBlanc from uh, Maple Ridge, BC. Born in Atlanta. Spent most of her youth in the Caribbean and then moved to Maple Ridge. And was the keeper in the 2011 uh, uh, Pan American Games where they won the gold in the shootout, the penalty against uh, Brazil. Um, number nine, Candace Chapman. Um, a lot of people probably haven't heard of her, especially new fans of the women's really? champions. But Even she's, I've heard of her. Yeah, no, but some of the new ones might have not have gone back and looked at to see who it was. And it's, she's uh, they played 114 caps. She, uh, she was a pretty good defender. And she was part of that 2011, uh, 2012, sorry, bronze medal uh, squad in uh, London. And she played it quite a bit with the Whitecaps too, the Whitecaps women's team. And won a championship with them in 2006 as well. At eight. Silvana Bertini. Now this one definitely, not yeah, very many people have heard no of her. I had no idea who this was. I, I voted for her. Yeah, she was, she's a forward. She's from Williamsburg, BC. Um, she was uh, part of the 98 CONCACAF championship. She was a member of the squad that went fourth place in 2003 World Cup. Yep. And she was even named Player of the Year for that, uh, the 98 year. And she, when she retired, she was, uh, she, I think she retired as the leading goal scorer at the time. And now she's third. Now she's third, yeah. Number seven, holy Schmidt. It's Sophie Schmidt. She's awesome. Yeah, uh, another one. I think she uh, she started off, I think she was born in Winnipeg, but she moved to Abbotsford at a young age. Uh, so she's a BC girl. So many BC players, actually, in, in the women's list. Yeah, and she and she followed uh, Christine Sinclair to uh, University of Portland as well, kind of followed, and they played together quite a bit, even there. And now she, I think she's playing in Germany she's right now. Frankfurt, I yeah. Believe, yeah. Number six, another favorite interview I had uh, in the lead-up, Aaron McLeod. Yeah, she's a, a good shot as well. Yeah, um, she's a goalkeeper. She's from Alberta. Seeing Alberta, Alberta. I think she's dealing with an injury issue right now. She's she's back playing her club soccer. Is she? Okay. Um, and but she's had a, quite a few of yeah. those injuries. Um, she uh, number one keeper. Uh, I think since the Germany Cup, uh, World Cup in Germany. Yeah, and I mean, she's been fantastic. Yeah, she's she's really one of the top keepers in the world. People. And if you listen to our extra podcast where we, we had Har's interview with John Herdman as well, 
she asked John whether Aaron's going to be good to go for this friendly in November against the States, or the two friendlies in November against the, the States, and he was very uncommittal about it. He he doesn't want to rush her because she put her body on the line yeah. and got injured getting Canada to to the Olympics, so he's not putting any pressure on her at all. But it'll be great to see her back between the sticks pretty soon. Fine. Number five, um, a, a 16-year vet of the Canadian national team, uh, led the Whitecaps to two championships, is in the Ring of Honor, Andrea Neal. <laughs> the one-year Ring of Honor. The one-year Ring of Honor. Eh, it was a Ring of Honor. She still got it. She's got the, I think, a gamer with a ring or something, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am hoping so. Yeah, so she's basically, um, yeah, she, she's there. Number four, one that uh, that I didn't, I thought maybe some people might not vote for her because she didn't have much of a run, but a, an extreme talent, Caroline. Someone whose time definitely got cut short by injuries, but her contributions and her kind of football IQ and her kind of the trajectory she, she had been on, I think that's probably why people. Yeah, and you so said somebody said she was overrated, yeah, which I completely someone disagree. Was saying with. to me, I think it was on Twitter that they wouldn't have had them so high, wouldn't have had her so high because yeah. he he just didn't think that she was as as highly rated as as others did. I think if she had gone on the same trajectory she had started out, because she was highly rated in, in the college ranks. Yeah, um, I, I think she, if she had given, she would have been a one B to Christine Sinclair, and I think yeah. we talked about it before. I think she would have. I think Christine. She might have scored as many goals as Sinclair, but I think she would have helped Sinclair score more goals. Yeah, uh, provided more service yeah. to her. Carlang, she could shoot. She could score. She could pass. Uh, she transitioned back into defense. Like, yeah, she contributed in so many ways over the years. Uh, and it was sad when she was trying to fight back uh, from injury and make a comeback, and that uh, it resulted, I believe, in another injury. But yeah, she was great. Um, number three, Diana Matheson. Who, for the longest time, I called Diane Matheson, but it is Diana Matheson. <laughs> well, you're not very good with names. No, in I'm not. <laughs> but if I was, if this was a full time job, I'm sure I could pronounce it yes. better than some commentators. And and she scored the clinching goal for the bronze medal in France. In France. Oh yes, against France, against France in London. France. Yeah. yeah. So that was a huge one there. Number two, Charmaine Hooper, just a beast in front of the net. Like the probably uh, before Sinclair, the, obviously their biggest goal scorer. The clip we heard was from the 2003 where they beat China and were able to advance to the semifinals. Yeah, Hooper was kind of so massive and made such huge contributions to the to the to women's program. There was always the awkward way of how of how her time ended in terms of not, you know, they made like the training camp out in Vancouver and that was not feasible or possible or deemed unfair or whatever. And there was, I don't know, I don't know how things got resolved or how things were left broken or whatever. But it was a real unfortunate way for. Uh, her her time with the national team to end. And I am on tenterhooks here to see who could possibly yeah. be this, number one. This was a no-brainer. It was unanimous. Uh, there was no second-place votes for number one. Chelsea Buckland? No, it is... Uh, although <laughs> Claire, she, Claire Rustad. Yeah. <laughs> Christine Sinclair. Oh. I, um, I like Claire Rustad, by the way. I like Chelsea because she did some good fun interviews with us. Uh, the, there's nothing really you could say about her that hasn't already been said. She is the best Canadian women's player ever. And eventually, I think people will realize how good she is overall. Um, she's never won. I don't think she's ever won the Women's Player of the Year internationally, which I think considering who she's played with and comparing that to other players that have won and who they played with, the talent level and everything, I think it's clear that she 
will be the best player ever. And when she wins the World Cup with Canada in 2019, she will be on her money. <laughs> she's got the order. She's got the order, order of Canada, Canada now. Yeah. And yeah, everything, so so the next thing is just money. Yeah, yeah. Christine is. She will replace the Queen. Mm-hmm. She, she's the Queen of Canada. <laughs> yeah. Christine is a yeah a quality footballer. A great. Just just knows everything. And, and the thing is, she's she's she's. They say slow down, and I'm using quotation marks here. Obviously not good for radio, but um, but she she's moved into a different position and she's even excelled at that. Yeah, I'm not fond of how she's not taking penalties right now because I know I know she I've heard her give interviews where she's kind of like, yeah, I don't I, my goal was to pass me a ham and I did that and she's kind of like I don't really care about Abby Wallback, <laughs> but I know for Canadian supporters, well, they, yeah, and they, John John Herman said he wants to be here yes. as, as she reaches the 200 mark. Yeah. So. Right. So I would like her to take penalties, but uh, yeah. no, she, yeah, she is she's awesome, and then what a nose for goal. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of other candidates that just missed the mark. Uh, Rianne Wilkinson, we were talking about her earlier. She she was an honorable mention, and uh, a few others. Christine Sinclair is a, a player that's inspired so many young women over the years. Still is, and one player that she did inspire was the new future generation of Canadian women's soccer, Jordan Heitema. But Jordan has come into the, the national team and she just lit everything up. In the space of a couple of months, she's going to have played for the senior team. She's away with the 20s and then she's going to go away with the 17s as well. She's only 16 years old. I think we've heard that somewhere before, really. Yeah. But I got a chance to catch up with Jordan and like talking about good interviews and stuff. She is a really good interview for a 16-year-old. So let's hear what she had to say. So, Jordan, it's been a whirlwind year for you so far, and you're about to head off now to Australia and China, and then you've got another game coming up here against America. Have your feet touched the ground so far this year? I mean, I take that in different ways. I mean, I've stayed grounded and I stayed humbled, but honestly, it still feels like a dream. (laughs) And uh, it's been a dream of mine since I was just coming into soccer that I'd be playing here and the fact that I'm able to actually live my dream is still incredible but no like John always says to me stay grounded and that's what I want to do and I want to keep my feet on the ground and I want to stay humble and not let it all go to my head because I'm, I'm not a star I'm not that I mean I'm trying to get to that point but still not there so just trying to stay stay humble and like really take the experience as I get it and yeah so yeah, kind of in the kind of staying grounded, but also in the clouds because it's my dream. And it's tough when a player comes into a national team program so young. We've seen it with Alfonso in the in the men's team as well. You've got someone to draw on that with, though, because like Jesse Fleming came through that a couple of years ago. Have you had a chance to sit down and speak with her about what's in store for you and what it's like and how to deal with everything? Yeah, um, I definitely have. I've because I've roommate. I've had a Deanne Rose and I roomated last time and you know we've had some discussions of our future and what what this program holds for both of us and and like where we see ourselves in the next Olympics the next World Cup and things like that I have talked to Jesse about about the team and about the universities and things like that so no I definitely look up to them and they're they're people that I plan on following their path like they've set out a distinct path that's that's an amazing path and I plan on following that so just to be able to have them surrounded like by like me being around them 24/7 and and able to grow off them is it's amazing. 
And obviously Christine Sinclair is a massive player around the world, but here in BC in particular, she's held in such high esteem. When you were growing up, is that someone that you, you just wanted to be like her and now you're on a team with her? For sure, yes. That's definitely my, that was my dream. I mean, I grew up and I was the kid with the Christine Sinclair posters in my room. I was the one that wanted to go find her on the streets <laughs> and go take pictures. And I remember my first camp uh, with the national team. I was, I was pretty young. I was probably 13. And, and my dad always said, like he said, don't get their autograph and don't take pictures with them because you're not a fan, Jordan. You're their teammate. And I oh, I got there and it was so difficult for me yeah. just to be surrounded by such high esteemed players, like you said. And it was so hard not to be like, hey, can I have your autograph? Can you sign my shirt? Like, but I couldn't do that. But it was just crazy. Like, it was a it was an amazing opportunity. And I know I know I've looked up to Christine so much with her movements and her touch and her passion and her drive. And she's such an amazing player that you know one day I've always wished that I could play like her let alone play alongside her so it's it's amazing I've spoken to your dad a few times over the years as well and your brother Brody you come from a footballing family mm-hmm. what was it like growing up in that environment what what age did you start playing uh, before I can even remember I was playing um, I grew up and my brother was just always in the backyard playing with a soccer ball and so I guess I I know there's home videos and I was always trying to get in there but you know I could never really keep up because I was a little bit a little bit younger but no definitely growing up uh, whenever we're free and home together it'd be hey like you want to go kick around a ball in the backyard and that definitely helped me like where I am today and he definitely didn't hold back, but uh, yeah, so he definitely helped me develop at a young, young age, and it was, a, it was just great that he was able to push me to that level. Now, Brodus obviously went to Duke and had a lot of issues and stuff, which we, we won't go into all that, but for you yourself, it's a few years away yet, but have you decided, do you want to go down the college road? Do you want to turn pro? Would you want to stay here? Would you want to go to Europe? Big, big decisions, I know. Yeah, um... It's definitely a lot of things to think about. Um, I haven't quite decided what I want to do or where I want to go. There's a lot, a lot of different routes and a lot of different things that each thing brings. So definitely going to have a lot of conversations with different people and see where I want to go. And with the Whitecaps team as well just now, knowing that they don't have, at least just now, a women's team to go to, it obviously means if you want to play, you'd have to move away from Vancouver. Is that a tough thing to think about? Like you've always been here, you've grown up here, you've played here, you're about to play America here. Is it just weird thinking that your path might take you somewhere completely different in the world? Um, a little bit. I mean, I've grown up on the West Coast and I love the West Coast. I mean, it's beautiful and I could barely imagine myself living somewhere else. But, I mean, as far as, as homesick, I don't really get that because I am living by myself right now in Burnaby. And, I mean, I miss my family a lot, but... Living, I live in camps and I, I, I do all these things, so I'm practically gone most of the time anyways. So I feel like that transition would make it a little bit easier for me. But no, it's definitely hard to think that I would be leaving the West Coast and leaving my family and my hometown for the first time. It's kind of mind-boggling, you could say, but yeah. So I haven't really just like thought about that a lot, but yeah. So big game coming up in November. America's coming back here. World Cup winners won it at BC Place. Were you at the final, or what's, what's your memories of the tournament? Did you get to get out to a lot of games? I didn't get out to a lot of games. I wish I could have, but, I mean, I live in Chillax, so it was pretty far away for, like, my family to go to. But, no, I, I wish I was there. I mean, I watched everything on TV. Anything I could, I was watching it on TV. And, and oh, I, was, I know in the U.S. game, 
I know it wasn't Canada, but I was still on the edge of my seat, just like loving because I have so much passion for the game. And yeah, the England game for Canada, I was there and I was watching it, and I just, like, you know, really wanted like a result. And like every game, I felt like I was there living it with Canada, and and felt like the the crowd really contributed to that. And that's why we're hoping for such a great turnout in this U.S. game because. They might not think it, but it does help us a lot when there is 50,000 people supporting you and cheering you on, and they're behind you, and they're in that game, and their feelings are there with you. And obviously we're hoping for a big crowd at BC Place for this one. Chance to test yourself against the number one team in the world, players that you've probably grown up admiring and stuff as well. What's it going to mean to you to run out on that pitch in November? Everything. I mean, it's a it's dream come true. Um, not only for the team is it a test for us, but it's a growth period for us. Like John said, I mean, on our path to number one, we get to play the number one team in the world, and we get to see where we, we rank against them and see our little 2%, we call it, that we have to, to fix in order to get to the number one spot during the World Cup and the Olympics. So it's amazing to be able to test ourselves against the U.S. at home as well as in the U.S. later on, but... You know, it's, it's an opportunity for the team and individual growth to, like, you know, for the future. It's going to have fallen a lot over the years, or last year and a half, really, I guess, and we always talk about how he manages to juggle his time with homework and trying to play and being a pro environment. How, how difficult has it been for you to keep your schooling up and have to go and, and play senior football? Yeah, um... I mean, it's a little bit difficult at times, you know. Um, I'm a young kid, so I get distracted pretty easily in camp. But, uh, no, I definitely, teachers are very helpful, and they let you take homework on the road. So uh, I definitely have a lot of homework on the road. I try to get it done. It mostly happens during the flights when I'm not doing anything because when I'm relaxing in my hotel room, I just tend that I want to relax and not focus on homework. But, no, it's definitely, like, since the end of school year was happening during my last camp, I had to focus a lot on schoolwork and making sure I was getting that done, as well as my school is very accommodating to a lot of athletes, and I know they have like a week of school after the fact that kids can come in and complete any work that they haven't finished, so that was very that was very helpful for me, and yeah, so it's just trying to make the most of the time that you get free and available so that you can get your homework done and get through each grade. That's great. Thanks so much for your time today, Jordan, and wish you well with the 17s and the 20s and the, the senior team as well. Look forward to seeing you in years to come. Thank you. What was that? That was Suede, so uh, young. Oh, man. First track from their debut album, was Suede. A, was that a preview of Wavelength? No. This was more melodic than what's coming up in Wavelength. Okay. Yeah, we it's go. called So Young. Yeah, yeah. So I thought I it, it was fitting. And the future looks bright for all the young guys. Yeah, here. I mean, well, if you, you, Davies, you look Hatema. at both the men and the women, yeah. and the young talent that is coming through right now, it's very exciting. Yeah, and just uh, in the last few days, I, it was some tri, uh, nation cup or something, I can't remember the name of it, but they uh, they were able to beat the Americans. Uh, it was a 4-1 victory. Down in Oz, the under-20s, yeah. Jordan's down there with the team. Yeah, and they were, yeah, I think Jordan scored a goal too, or two, maybe, I can't remember. She, she's a very mature... Young lady. 16-year-old. It's 
when, when you chat to her, she's got such a, a football head on her shoulders. And she comes from a football and family. Yeah. I remember I, when she was talking about her dad's advice there. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember talking to Mr. Hoyt to my life. Quality fellow. And there is some big searching questions ahead for her. It's like, does she turn pro? Does she go to university? If she does turn pro, does she stay here? NWSL, will there be a team even in Vancouver for her to stay here? Which would be a great marquee signing. I mean, we've talked about if Vancouver got an NWSL team, Christine Sinclair would be the marquee signing, but we don't think that would happen, partly for the pressure, but partly because she loves Portland. Yeah, she's, she's Portland. But if you got Jordan to yeah. come out of the Rex program into a, a Vancouver Whitecaps NWSL team, that would be fantastic marketing. She loves the West Coast, as she says. If she went to university, there's the option UCLA, I've heard mentioned, as a, a possible landing spot for her. But in the women's side, you've got her, Deanna Rose, Ashley Lawrence, through. Ashley Lawrence, uh, Jesse Fleming, Kenesha Buchanan. Can you? It, it's yeah. a, it's amazing how everybody uh, uh, now now she's nineteen, I think. Jesse Fleming. And, yeah, she, and, she's past she's, it now. She's, she's 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 old news now, but she's still so phenomenal. Yeah. So, there's a lot of young talent there. And uh, uh, just a quick shout out. I know this. I know. I know. Zach's gonna roll his eyes because it's a different sport. Uh, but the, a quick shout out to the U19 uh, Canadian uh, men's team because uh, they won the the FIBA championships. Uh, it's the first time any Canadian team has ever won anything at the international level. Uh, men's, women's, at, at anything. basketball, oh, at basketball, just a, just a stress. At basketball, not anything. No, no, at basketball, then uh, uh, they dominated too. It wasn't even close. Some of these games. That's because we invented the sport, right? Yeah. Or modernized, I don't know. Shooting things in baskets. Yeah, Do you remember that part of our heritage yeah. commercial? I, yeah. I remember that commercial. Yeah, it was a good commercial. Good commercial. So, yeah, I mean, things are looking really, really bright for Canadian women's soccer. And Jordan is now a fully-fledged member of the Canadian women's national team. Oh, no. So, as such, there's only one thing we could do. It's a rite of passage. What's your favourite jam? So, Jordan, if you were having some toast or a scone or something and you were going to put some jam on it, what would be your favourite jam? It'd be strawberry jam. Thank you so much. What's your favourite jam? Traffic jam. What's wrong with raspberry? What's wrong with plum? How's about a blob of elderberry on a scone? What's your favourite jam? And yes, the music is longer than the segment. I do <laughs> I do understand that. I just love the song. It was nice to get your dad to sing that for us. Yeah, it was. I wish I had kept recording because I switched it off oh, as yeah. soon as she answered because she was needed for another interview. But she just broke down into a fit of giggles. Uh, and then Hara was sitting there. And she, before we had done that, I'd said to her, I ask everyone this. And I've asked lots of the Canadian women this. So just so you feel part of the team, I wanted to ask you about what your favourite jam is. And she's like, what? So we asked it. And then she just collapsed into giggles. And then Hara's like, you've not been asking her about jam, have you? I was like, see, it wasn't winding you up. We do this. But she was a pleasure to talk to. And I just can't wait to see her... Just tear it up at the, the Olympics, the World Cup, and things are looking great for Canada. Yeah, for sure. And we'll be back with more chat after this. Starting a 
So that's uh, the Ramones with their cover of Spider-Man live. And the Spider-Man came out this week, obviously. Obviously. Zach, you saw it. You saw it, Steve. Yeah, I saw it. Michael, you must have seen it no, twice. I don't think so. No, I, I'm waiting for it to come on the web. Um, so, uh, <laughs> no, that was a good. That was I good. had a good joke. No <laughs> reaction there at all. Um, uh, but uh, obviously a story of a 16-year-old kid rising up and, uh, you know, claiming his rightful place. And there's a group of 16-year-old boys who are going to go for it in L.A. Of course, the difference is Spider-Man, obviously, bigger epic story. U16's real boys. Not not a fictional character. Not Pinocchio. No, exactly. So, um, uh, so yeah, it's a it's a great. Hopefully, this is the first time U16s are in the Red Sea yep, uh, final, final four. four. They're playing Atlanta United. Yeah, and we played Georgia uh, one time before. Yeah, that was in the in the quarterfinals. Yeah. And I think they kind of got their their little connection there. And the Caps are going into seeded third of the four teams. We talked about the the game in our last episode where they got through against Seattle, thrashed Seattle, although 3-0 was maybe a a favourable scoreline considering how many chances Seattle had. But yeah, final four, I was going to head down, then I saw it was 31 degrees, (laughs) and I'm not going now. Yeah, that's the opposite of most people's reaction. Yeah, I'll die. Is Atlanta rated number, ranked number two? Yeah, Atlanta's number two. Number one is Dallas. Because I figured, like, the way USSDA usually does it is it doesn't matter where we rank, we usually play number one. Yeah, so (laughs) surprisingly, it's not. So we've got a great chance of getting to the final, and if we do that, the 18s have been to the championship game twice. If we get the 16s there as well, it could be a third game against a Dallas team. Right. So that's on Friday is the semi-final. There'll be a live stream of that. And then on Sunday, the final will take place as well. So there's a a few other things happening this week. Whitecaps get back to training on Monday. Yep. So hopefully by the time the next game comes, they've pretty much got a full squad. I mean, Brett Levi's and David Edgar are the the two guys that are really missing. But and everyone the gold, else seems And the good. Gold Cup people are obviously going to be missing. Oh, I don't count them because they're Canadian. Ho- hopefully for a oh, long yeah, time. Oh, yeah, you want to give up Alfonso Davies? You don't count him? Oh, yeah, I count him. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, just talking about the Whitecaps Canadian players, the joy that Rusty showed yeah. and Sam Adekugby showed, yeah. it was it was really good to see. Rusty made an, an I mean, other than... The, Rusty he, did well. He made yeah. a difference in there. In the, uh, other than uh, the fact that Bernier leaving... You know, coincided with the, the goals given away. Aside from that, like I, I think, that, I think everything I think, was I think the I think the goalkeeper uh, substitution had more to do bigger, with it. Yeah. yeah, Whitecaps two are in action with a, a Nooner at the Bird. Doesn't quite have the same <laughs> ring as Nooner at the Nat, but they're playing Swope Park Rangers at twelve o'clock on Wednesday. If you're free, if you're a lazy layabout like myself. Get along to the game. But you won't be lazy. You, there's a reason you're going. Oh, yeah, I'm doing colour commentary again for that one. After. So from work, to tune in and listen to Michael. Yes. So I, so th- there, that gives you incentive to come to the game so you don't have to listen to Michael. I know. <laughs> folk, the folks are going to be sick. They're going to be like, let's watch some football. Oh, God, it's him again. Yeah. So, yeah, busy, busy week ahead. Looking forward to it. We'll be back next Sunday to talk more Whitecap stuff. You're doing a double header on Wednesday. Yes, because TSS Rovers play their final game of the PDL season. They are at home to Seattle. Always good to beat the Sounders at any team, any level. So if you can get along to Swangard Stadium, 7 o'clock, cheer the guys on. They're looking for a big crowd for their last home game, and there'll be fun galore. 
Does that sound? Well, you sound sounded like you said funga galore. <laughs> I was going to say there was going to be giveaways, but there isn't. So I didn't want to kind of put the TSS guys on the spot. So yeah, maybe they give the jerseys off the back, or oh, I'll suggest that. <laughs> or it's like Colin, we've just announced that we're, we're giving your jerseys away. Cans of beer. So fun galore. Get along to to TSS. See fungalore. Right? Yes, he's <laughs> saying it fungalore. No, I'm, I'm hearing it now that you say that. Is, wait, is fungalore Canadian? Yeah, and I tell you what else is fungalore. It's our wavelength section of the show, my favourite section. So we're back with one of Zach's favourites, I Ludicrous, from their Twenty Years in Show Business album, and this is the band that Zach described as a dirge. What they you played a dirge one? Yeah, night. okay. In the middle of the night, we've been here for four hours. You're like, let's put this on. Yeah. Well, this is a song all about football cliches. This song is called At the End of the Day. Guide us through the turnstiles each new Saturday. Be there at the kick-off and give us, we pray. A fair result at the end of the day. There's twenty-two players and four substitutes. They've worked hard in training, they've dug in their boots. Throw out the window, the experts all say. It's a funny old game, Saint, at the end of the day. Ludicrous there with At the End of the Day. 
Zach really liked that one. Um, apparently, I've you gone go- back to 1909, though. You're Googling it. No, yeah. Well, it's, uh, the, it's uh, I think, an Irish folk tune that there's a, a hymn called Be Thou My Vision that was actually pl- we played at our wedding. <laughs> um, <laughs> See, so, uh, I, I ludicrous. I ludicrous. They're your new band. Com- compare that to Pedro the Lion's version of Be Thou My Vision. Hmm. And as, as they sang there, it is goals that count at the end of the day. So let's hopefully that we're going to see some goals from Canada in the two Gold Cup games that they have remaining against Costa Rica and Honduras. Uh, I honestly don't need to see any goals. I'm happy with 0-0 draws in both of them. Uh, yeah, I'd probably take that. So that is it for another episode of the AFTN Soccer Show, brought to you in partnership with BC Soccer Web, your one-stop site for local, national and international news and links. Check them out on bcsoccerweb.com. Just before we go, lads, where can they find you online? You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. For me, it's at ZacharyAM, and I'm part of the Movement Curver Collective. I'm Michael McCall. I'm part of the Movement AFTN. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Also, the Whitecaps Beat reporter for MLSsoccer.com and the Western Conference reporter for USLsoccer.com. Also, check out our new Instagram account, where I either randomly post nothing for a day or two, and then I just post tons of stuff in one day. So you can find us on that, at AFTN Soccer. So that is it for this episode of the show. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. And And mon the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Mm-hmm.